so high. Hi. I'll come out from my from the cage, and uh, I'm happy to be here. My name is Beverly. I am um, very happy to be here. I'm from Scottsdale, Arizona, but I came to the program in Los Angeles 51 years ago. I walked through the doors. 1963. I lived in Palos Verdes, and uh, there was no OA, of course, in Palos Verdes, and there was no freeway. There was no 405. <laughs> and so I had to go to West L.A., uh, you know, to go to a meeting. And um, so I, I did that. The first time I walked into the meeting, and I was in a big black coat, I weighed I guess I was over 220. The top weight of my life has been 235 and um, been fat since I'm one year old. And, uh, but when I walked into that meeting, I knew I was home. There was, uh, you know, everybody there was, there were no men. And uh, we all seemed to be the same age. In my mind, we were all the same age. And you know, and spiritually, of course, we are all the same age, and you know, nobody nobody gets old spiritually. So, uh, so LA is like home to me because I was 32 at the time, and um, so, and, and I moved to I moved to Arizona 44 years ago, 1970, and. Um, but L.A. has always been like home to me because this is where I was reborn. And I like to talk, uh, so 51 years of experience, 32 years of dieting and yo-yo syndrome. I have an Orthodox Jewish background. My father was very prominent, born in Chicago, raised in Chicago. And um, uh, my brother was very talented. My sister was very talented. And then there was Betty, and I sucked my thumb and peed in my pants a lot. <laughs> I was talented, but I, I felt I couldn't measure up. I wasn't as good as them. I, wasn't, I could never measure up to my father. Wherever I went, you know, I was somebody's daughter. So, you know, I related a lot, especially in L.A., with a lot of the industry people and the industry children who were, you know, kids of, of, of stars, because we, we had something, something in common. And, of course, all of us have in common that we don't have much self-worth, you know, for one reason or another. Anyway, um, so I, I, I was the people pleaser as a result. I, as I sucked my thumb until I was 12, peed in my pants until I was, I don't know, seven, you know, bed wetter and that kind of thing. And, um, but I was very bright, and uh, as I say, I was a people pleaser, so I always wanted to, I was the good girl, I was obedient, my sister was the wild one, my brother was the favored one, was an Orthodox Jewish home, so the son could do no wrong, and he really did walk on water, my brother. Uh, he, was, he, he was four years older than me. And we had a great relationship, for the most part. Uh, I have very good um, male-female relations because at an early age, his friends adopted me. And I was like the mascot of, of 
their group and they told me that the girls don't do this and girls don't do that and I just picked up things and I wanted to be approved of. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be liked. My mother would sooner hit me and swat me than look at me, I felt. So, um, so anything I could do to get some love and attention. You know, I was at a, uh, an AA roundup in Palm Springs one time and there was this gal who said, she, she was, it was an AA thing and she was saying, she said, you know, the bottom line is I was really a love and attention junkie. And I thought to myself, hello, <laughs> uh, this could be you. I get so many profiles. <laughs> Anyways, it's been a marvelous adventure and a great journey, the OA experience. And I've asked the timer to kind of, so, so that, so what I was like, I don't want to go into it a whole lot. You and I, thank you very much, so that's five. Because, you know, I have, I have 83 years to cover in 20 minutes. You know, good luck to me, right? So, you fill in the blanks. I was good in school. Um, uh, I was the fat kid. I was, okay, so my top weight, I was 220. I was 220 going into high school. And then in high school, I started on pills and shots. Oh, yeah, by the way. Pills and shots. And so I was, I was really addicted to amphetamines, laxatives, diuretics. Uh, and I did that till I got to OA. I didn't call myself an addict because when the pills stopped working, when the dexedrine stopped working, I would just get fat. I wouldn't take three and four times the quantity. So in my mind, I really wasn't an addict. But I couldn't really, you know, the fact is today, I understand, I was really addicted to, to amphetamines. Um, you know, today it's, 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 it's a whole different world. In those days, you went to a, a diet doctor uh, in the Jewish community. You had to look good. You get it? You just couldn't live. You had to look good. But you had to get married. You didn't have a career. You could be a, a nurse, a teacher, or what? Something else. Uh, what? No. <laughs> it was secretary. That's what I was. Anyways, uh, and I was wonderful. And people people, because um, I wanted to please, you know, and people sought me out. I never had to look for a job. Uh, I was plucked from one to the other and just, you know, so uh, I, uh, I was pretty fortunate that way. And uh, didn't get married until I was 27, and that was 1958, guys. So, I mean, I was old. I was, they really thought, you know, I was never going to get married. I was engaged three times. The first time I was 19 and the guy came to pick me up when I, got, all my friends were getting engaged. Why shouldn't I? So I did. And um, one day he came to pick me up. We were going to a barn dance. Uh, you know, a hayride, you, call, you don't call it barn dance anymore. Square dance. And uh, he had a hole in his sweater. And I said, ah, I can't marry this man. He has a hole in his sweater. <laughs> and that's about how mature I was. <laughs> so, and that happened a few times. Uh, I 
was engaged another couple of times, I was very afraid of any kind of commitment. My sister, I thought my sister made a big mistake when she married. I was raising, I was babysitting three little kids in a one-bedroom apartment. Ain't going to happen to me. No way. I'm not going to do that. So I, as a result, I was a little marriage-phobic. And, um, but I did get married at, at age 27. And I was living here. I was working in Beverly Hills. Uh, and um, I asked this guy to marry me. He was, I had known him from Chicago. But I don't want to talk about that. I want, I want to do, I've already done seven minutes, right? So I want to do, oh, you're the timer. Okay. So I, I have lately been breaking up my 51 years in OA in segments. The first eight and a half years, it took me eight and a half years to surrender. Uh, I came to the program uh, when I was living in Palisbury. Um, and that first year, it was my cousin who came to me. She, she and I were very close. We, but we shared every diet in the world, every diet doctor. We, we, did, we had all the pills. We knew all the, because you had to look good, baby. Uh, it wasn't about health. It wasn't about nutrition. It wasn't about being fit. That was never such a word in my, growing up in my life. So um, it was about looking good. Uh, so she came to me one day and she handed me the gray sheet. And she handed me OA literature. And she said, this is it. This is, this is the way to go. And I looked at it and uh, I said, oh, okay. Uh, and she... I look at the 12th and I said, oh, this is all about God. I said, you know, Harold doesn't believe in God. And I put it away. And that's where I was. I had no identity. Was that 10 minutes? So I had no identity. It was, her- I had, when I got married, I, I had given up. I had made so many decisions and mistakes and I was so, t- I, I wanted someone to take charge, and then, you know, I was raised on two shall be as one, and father knows best, and I found a man who, I said, would you be God? And he said, yes. <laughs> and uh, I put my whole life into him, and by the time I, she showed me this, which was, we were married about five or six years, it was a symbiotic relationship. Um, where we were really, I was strangling him. I, I wrapped myself around him. And while it's very wonderful in the beginning, uh, this pink cloud that you have, what happens is it really backfires and then he pulled away and then I was left and I had, there was nothing there. It was, I was like a blob. So I didn't have, I couldn't decide what vacuum cleaner to buy. And you know, I mean, I'd go to Sears for everything because I couldn't make a decision. Pretty sad. Anyway, when she handed this to me, she, I said, well, Harold doesn't believe in God, which, of course, then I don't believe in God if he didn't. And I said, I can't do this. And I put it away. And then six months later, I was really a mess. And I thought, I, I, I have to go. So I went to the meeting. And at the meeting, I knew I was home. I came home. I got and. 
uh, I, I got on gray sheet, a, a form of gray sheet, no sugar, no flour. When I heard that, I knew it was me because every, any success I'd ever had on any program was when I eliminated sugar and flour. And some of us, you know, we know we're gluten intolerant, we're lactose intolerant. We're, today we know a lot more than we did then. But um, So I went to about four meetings that first year. And then at the first crisis in our life, I, I did fine. I had no sponsor. But I knew, I, 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 you know, I did fine. And then at the first crisis in our life, what did I do? I started binging. And I was a, I suppose, a periodic, you could call me. I would, you know, binge and, uh, binge and diet, binge and diet. That was, that was my lifestyle, the yo-yo syndrome. You know, lose 40 pounds, gain 50. Lose 50, gain 60. Lose 60, gain, you know, that kind of thing. And so in my life, I, and now I'm around, I'm about 155 pounds. Um, most of my time in, in OA, I stayed around 160. I've been as low as 145, but um, and so that's where I that's where I stay right now. Between uh, I'd like to be between 150 155, and that seems to be good for me. Um, where am I at time-wise? I'm bad. <laughs> okay. So the first, it took me eight and a half years to surrender. I came that first year, left for five years at the first crisis, came back to OA when we moved to the valley. We lived in Tarzana, and I went to, came to the valley, and there I found the gray sheet meeting, Nazi gray sheet. And we did, you know, uh, and it was all or nothing. And I did that for three and a half years, slipping and sliding. I would have perfect abstinence followed by, oh, I'd eat a dill pickle in between. <gasps> Bad girl. I might as well eat the supermarket. So uh, that, was, that, was the, that was the pattern. And then we moved to Phoenix in 1970. And there was no OA. And I was damning OA, you know, uh, those people in L.A., do they know what they have there? I can't even get a meeting together here. Then there was an earthquake here, and two gals from, from California moved to Phoenix. And one of the gals called. I couldn't get a meeting going with this other gal, two of us. We'd, we'd put up signs, we'd sit in the meeting, and um, nobody would come. And if they did, we would be fighting, and so nobody wanted what we had. <laughs> the third person came uh, came from L.A., put an ad, put got an article in the paper, and oh, we 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 started a meeting, and it's been going ever since. And uh, it's pretty strong now, and and it's wonderful. But so there it was, 1971. OA had, we, we already uh, had a, a meetings going, and I still couldn't get it together. Could not get back-to-back -back abstinence. That was my goal. And it was Halloween, and, you know, hello. I mean, that was, the kids were coming in with candies and whatever, and um, called my sponsor, and I said, 
what's wrong with me? Uh, and I said, you people in L.A., you've got it all. And she said, and I was screaming and crying. I, once again, I had blown it. And she said to me, oh, Beverly, there's beauty in desperation. And I said, what? My guts are spattered on the floor and you're telling me there's beauty? And she said, yes, because now you're open and now you're ready to hear and now you're ready to change. And uh, I, have never, I have not looked back since that day. So that was the beginning of my surrender. And five days later was Halloween. And the kids came in with their candy. And it was the first time I didn't. I didn't. I, it, the, the desire was gone. But I stayed on gray sheet for the next 12 and a half years. You hear me? I weighed and measured at home. I traveled the world. My husband, we did extremely well. I went to France. I didn't eat pastry. I went to, I went to Italy, did not eat pasta. And imagine, I saw Italy. <laughs> it wasn't about the food. Uh, today, it, today, I can eat pasta. I don't care about it. Today, I can eat the pastry. I don't care about it. Uh, those things are, were really, really taken from me. Uh, so, so that for 12 and a half years, I did, I did gray sheet. And then the last 20 and a, 21 years, the last 21 years have been remarkable because it was a weaning off of gray sheet. And it was, and you know, there's a lot to be said for weighing and measuring. There's a lot to be said for structure when you're an oozing mess like I was. Uh, there's a lot to be said for it. And what I learned from it was commitment, discipline, and accountability. Discipline, a commitment, and accountability. And that has led me to be able to embrace many, many, many philosophies and therapies and uh, uh, knowledge in my life, programs. Uh, I'm open to learning. I'm a lifelong learner. The, uh, the commitment to recovery, the commitment to good health, that's my focus today. Uh, so the last 21 years have been really the spiritual journey. When I, when I qualify, when I, I do a lot of meditation, I do a lot of affirmation. And part of that affirmation is in my mantra of I am. And I am a great, mighty, powerful, playful, spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. That's who this young lady is. And that's who we all are. Uh, you know, we are spiritual beings with dignity, direction, and purpose. We get lost in the muck and the mire of the food and the pills and the people-pleasing and the loving and needing and wanting and gimme, get me, buy me, bring me. All of that, it, it destroys this gorgeous soul, this beautiful spirit 
that's within all of us. And somehow, through these steps, and it's, you know, my, my first sponsor was Maxine, who lives in the valley. So, it's those of you who know her, I mean, she was some kind of gift in my life, um, as well as 20,000 other sponsors and people that I've met through the years, and I've been very fortunate. So, where am I? Two minutes! Man! So, it, my journey in life is, uh, is, is quite remarkable. Uh, I spent seven years on the Board of Trustees in, in Overeaters Anonymous. I've done, you know, a tremendous amount of, I mean, a lot of service work. Um, the friends, the close friends in my life uh, that I've nurtured and developed and cultivated from OA are still the richest part of my life. It's not the only part. And the eater, you know, the compulsive eater, is one little part. That's not who Beverly is. And it's just a part of me. And I, I tend to look at it today as an eating disorder. Um, I'm, not in, I, I'm not in touch with that pain that I lived through for a long time. And I'm, I was in touch with it last Friday. I was at a meeting and there was a leader who had lost a lot of weight. And I could feel her pain. And I don't normally talk about pain because I sail through life. You know, I, I overcome. I've had, I had cancer two years ago. I had lung cancer and a major surgery. I've had three joint replacements, scoliosis, spondylosis, spondylolisthesis, you name it. Uh, I've got, you know, neuropathy from the chemotherapy and I just came back from a two and a half week trip in Australia where I snorkeled and walked with the penguins and, um, and my, my heart is overflowing. Really. The gifts of these steps, the gifts of this program, they're here. It's a formula for living. It's really a formula for living. Uh, and by the way, you get to stop eating. <laughs> Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself uh, if you're being if, and you are being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay, we stop at 9.35. Okay. Uh, given that it's critical to personality. What? Given understanding that it's critical to personality. Yes. Okay. What? If you're willing. If I'm willing. I'm willing. Um, I knew Roseanne. I... I was a delegate from the um, Valley meeting to one of one of the very first.
conferences. I met AG at the conference. I knew Roseanne. So, okay, so one of my sponsors was a good friend of Roseanne, and I, I um, through Roz, I got to know Roseanne quite well. And then I was appointed to the Board of Trustees in 1975, there were no, there, uh, there was um, three vacancies on the Board of Trustees and the conference at that time was just a delegate from every group. There weren't any uh, people, uh, uh, candidates, more than any nominees, people qualified. In those days you had to have two years of absence in order to be on the board. and. People couldn't, you know, didn't have, didn't have two years. And I was, from, I was living in Arizona at the time, and my, my delegation, we had driven in, and my delegation said, Beverly, you're the only one who's got the, who can do it. So I volunteered. And they said, we'll, I said, how will I get to meet? That's a whole other story. But anyway, so through my years on the board, I, I got to know Roseanne, and I got to know of course, Bill B. and Louie, and there was, all, we were all like family. You know, we were very, very close. So what do you want to know? You want, you don't want to know my personal recollections. You want to know what she meant to me? Well, I think she made a lot of mistakes. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're asking me, and I'm going to be on a podcast, oh, come on. It's not really a good thing to, to share. I don't want to share anything negative, but um, uh, yes, and we're all grateful to her for the fellowship. Uh, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> That's not, okay. Okay. All right, let's leave it at that. She did a great service in many ways. In many ways, it could have been better. And she herself, you know, struggled and couldn't let go and couldn't, and, you know, and couldn't stay in recovery. I have that gift. And uh, it's not for us to judge, you know, someone else. And you don't know what someone else's journey is going is or can be. Um, but I, I was never very close with her, but we, you know, she mentioned me in her book. She, I was, she, uh, she was feisty, and she had a lot of different, uh, you know, she, 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 I, I okay, all right, enough said. She did a great service in many ways. Okay, yes. So, can you share how and when the switch brings sounds like a little bit more of a quote-unquote normal relationship with food? If I could, put, I would like to put that in a bottle and I could probably make a fortune. <laughs> uh, there is a turning point. Yes, there has been, there have been turning points. We were in Greece. We were in Athens. And sightseeing and, and living, you know, you know at a, in a wonderful hotel and we're marching down the street. The guy on the corner roasting chestnuts. Well, chestnuts is not sugar and flour. So, you know, what, what would it hurt if I had a chestnut between meals? I mean, it's not a bad thing. I, now, you know, I'm 12 years weighing and measuring. 
and we were in Athens for three days, and so for three days I obsessed, and then I said, well, you know what I'll do? We'll get a bag of chestnuts, and I'll have it before dinner. So it'll be part of my dinner, but the dinner will, you know how we do these numbers. And, and that's what you do when it's all or nothing, when you have. So, and that's just for three days about the chestnuts. We bought the bag of chestnuts. I take the first one. It tastes terrible. I thought, what in the hell am I doing a number on myself? And the stuff is, it's not worth it. And I, did I break my abstinence? Was my abstinence broken? And shortly after that, but that's not your question. Your question was the transition from gray sheep to regular food. Was that your question? Yes. It was at the Pritikin Institute. Uh, I, we, went to, we went to the Pritikin Institute here with my husband who had heart problems. He had a, he had a ruptured aneurysm and survived. And so we, I, I got him on the plan. We go to Pritikin and I get into physical fitness. I was never very athletic. I was the klutz. I was the one they didn't pick for the baseball team. I was, you know, coordination problems, that kind of thing. And so here now they're talking about fitness and treadmill and so forth. And I have arthritis and I can't walk. And anyways, uh, but it was at the Pritikin Institute where where we learned about uh, low fat eating and uh, heart healthy menus and so forth. And so we, I converted to whole grains and it was there that I ate my first piece of bread. And when I did, my husband went, because I made him crazy. I mean, all over, you know, all over Italy when they bring the pasta. I say, now you be sure I get my salad when they bring the pasta. You know, it was his fault, but you know, okay, okay. So now, now I'm, I'm in classes there and I'm learning about what whole grains do for you and what you need and about nutrition and I'm learning all this stuff and, I, and I'm convinced that I'm not a freak anymore and that uh, I won't die, I won't explode if I have a drop of flour in my body, and nothing terrible is going to happen. So that was when I had my first piece of bread. And then I converted and I see that, you know, I didn't gain a million pounds, and I was still okay on the planet. God still loved me. I didn't turn into a pumpkin. I wasn't going to, you know, binge. And of course, what happened with the actual, what, what I know now, is that my self-worth as a human being was developing and nurturing and flowering. And you guys did that, you know, by, by putting me in places of service and telling me that I was okay and telling me that I was smart and telling me I had value. That it suddenly when you're sponsor when you when you're working with people and you get back, you you don't have when there's no when there's a void inside, you don't know that you have a void. You don't know that there's nothing there. 
But when you start to get filled, oh, you, you can stand up. You can make a decision. You can, you can do things. And so that's pretty much as I, you know, got more self-esteem and, you know, and now I'm, I'm impossible to live with. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Uh, as someone who told part of your story about uh, you didn't believe in God because your husband didn't believe in God. Yeah. Um, how important, if at all, do you think it was when you walked in these rooms? You said your first meeting, maybe your first many meetings were women only, and now it's still mostly women in terms of coming out as a human being, even though you're a woman. I don't understand your question. Uh, you wanted to have the opinion, you felt you needed to have the opinion of a man, of your husband. And I'm wondering if the fact that it was OA had a lot of women, maybe mostly women, was helpful or you think it was irrelevant? It was very helpful because, as it turns out, I didn't like women. Uh, and I found that out when I was on the board of trustees. <laughs> And that's true. I was, and, and there were mostly men on the board, and I was very much at home with the men. And uh, we, uh, <laughs> and it was a woman on the board. We were all friends, and she said, "How is it you don't listen when the women talk, but when the men talk, you're all there? And how come you don't give us, you know, equal time?" She said, and, and of course I went to therapy and I, you know, I found out I, I didn't like women because I didn't like myself. Hello? And as you, you know, as you are, you know, I mean, you sow what you reap. I mean, you reap what you sow. Um, so, I, so the fact that there were, the fact is that I didn't like, I didn't, respect women because I came from a patriarchal society and da 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 you know every value every paradigm in my life had to be shifted after I surrendered after I did my final first final surrender I talk about surrendering so you surrender the food then you got to surrender the ego then you got to surrender your children then you got to surrender your husband your brother the brother it goes on and on and on and until you can get to the place where you can live for fun and for free you know to live clean to clean up you know learning how to clean up my side of the street that's 10 11 and 12 you know, they're just, they're the formula for life. The amends, I mean, without cleaning out, without forgiveness, without cleaning everything out, you can't have, you can't have self-respect, you can't have respect for others. It's not a question of men and women. Uh, so, um, for me, having men in the program was just, I mean, that was one of the great blessings of my life. And Bill B., you know, who wrote uh, Compulsive, you're not supposed to mention outside literature here, but in my opinion, he was very, he was gifted in the, in the, in the program. He had it right, in my opinion. But his behavior was so deplorable that he had, uh, 
his work, unfortunately, got shunted, got put aside. But he really understood that this was a spiritual program and that the first step was not that we were powerless over food. We were powerless over the illness. We were powerless over, well, how does he put it? We were powerless over the disorder. Um, Yes. What do you do on a daily basis to stay connected with God? Good question. I do everything. <laughs> everything I do is connected. Um, first of all, I'm retired now. I'm a widow for 10 years. It'll be 10 years in September. Uh, I live alone. Um, I'm grateful for everything in my life. I've had tremendous uh, highs and lows. I've lived like a quarter of the, per- of the world's population, per, you know, a, a percentage of the world's population. I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better. And I'm not poor by any means, and I'm grateful for everything that I have. And I know that everything is of God. And for me, you know, the, God is process. So, and I believe in the process. I, I do affirmations. I do um, reading. I meditate. I do yoga. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah. And I go to meetings. Uh, I have seven grandchildren and eight great-grandchildren and if you can see eight great-grandchildren and don't think of God I don't know what <laughs> you know that's just these are just great blessings in my life um, and I have a tremendous circle of friends and uh, sponsor people that I sponsor and, and friends in the program um, that, you know, we, I'm connected. I connect at every level I possibly can. Coming here from, I drove from Coronado up to, uh, to Hancock Park. And it took me three and a half hours <laughs> to do it, an hour and a half trip. And, the, you know, the traffic is what it, what it is, and you live with it. One of the reasons we moved from Southern California 44 years ago was because of the, the traffic. So now it's, so I know what to expect. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, well, how can I turn this into a positive? And what can I, what can I do? And, and you guys, you're stuck in the car a lot behind traffic. And it's like, well, perhaps this is a time I can connect. I can think a little, you know, I don't have to ruminate. Um, I want to stay in the present, and being in the present is the most glorious thing you, I can do, and, you know, it's the goal. So anything I can do to get my mind um, on a higher level is my connection. Yes? Okay. Um, the question is, from the promises, we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. 
I had no intuition when I came to this program. I, when I got married, I said, I had, you know, you talk about feminine intuition and uh, having, you know, ESP, nothing. I had nothing. I had no connection, no sensitivity. I was so, you have to understand, I was so locked up in myself. I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, you know, I, 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 when I came to the program, I drank 12 sodas a day. I chewed three packs of sugarless gum a day in the beginning. I mean, for years. That's what I did. That was the kind of behavior. So intuitively know. In order to intuitively know, you have to be quiet. There has to be some stillness. Uh, there was, I couldn't stand still. I couldn't be still for four seconds. So there was no intuition. But when you stop to listen, it's there. I mean, uh, I've lost my mother, my father, my sister, my brother. Uh, I've had our house burned, our business burned. And I remember being walking away from the when the house burned, and uh, and we had two kids, and we went in to pack some things because we went to a motel that night, and I was it was it was a devastating experience, and I'm walking with my kids, and I'm thinking to myself, imagine the homeless. And imagine what's happened to the people at the Holocaust when they were driven. This is, you know, I was in touch with pain and what's happened before and that it wasn't just all about me. I think that, that progression, you know, uh, and, and to this day, I mean, when I lost everything after my husband died and I went into bankruptcy and I lost everything and uh, bad guys came after me and it was just really terrible and I was flattened and a voice said, get your ass to OA. I had not been in OA in five years, seven years and, they, and I heard a voice and I went to OA and of course, and that was 19, that was 20, uh, 2005. So it was nine years ago. Is that yeah, okay. the whole meeting? Well, yeah. So the leader usually says, I shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? Yeah. You know. <laughs> okay.